The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com With that situation. All right, so let's go. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. While you're turning there, remember in elementary school, I think I was maybe around the fourth or fifth grade, one of my classmates was really, really bad at basketball. He was a great guy, but uh, was always one of the last ones to get picked. But here's the thing that was interesting about him. The problem was is he loved basketball. All he cared about was basketball. He had basketball shoes on, basketball clothes on. He was always talking about basketball. Back then, it would have been uh, uh, fourth and fifth grade. I think it was probably Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Kevin McHale time, right? Uh, that's, that's, so he was always, I think, wearing Magic Johnson stuff. Um, he thought about basketball always, and he walked, and he talked all basketball. But here was the big problem. He wasn't very good. Always last to get picked. So he was actually with uh, one of the, what we would refer to as a well-to-do family in Hawaii, which is very rare in Hawaii because it's so expensive. It's like, if you live in Hawaii, you are well-to-do. Um, his dad decided that maybe what he needed was to get some private lessons. So he actually hired a retired professional NBA basketball player, I can't remember who it was, and his personal coach that took him in and actually coached him. He practiced and was coached by this guy three times a week for the entire summer. When the school year started, wow. Man, wow. Not only was he getting picked first, he was the one that was starting to do the picking. It was amazing what a little coaching could do. Now, remember, the Apostle Paul and Timothy, they spent a great deal of time warning the Colossians about their preoccupation with the world. They were warning them about the evil teachings that were stealing from the Colossians their wholeness, their fullness, their true joy that they actually had in Christ. Now we see him provide a positive counterpart as he gives some, dare I say, coaching. Maybe the Apostle Paul is doing a little bit of coaching here. Now, I don't like to say coaching because I don't want us to confuse what the Apostle Paul and Timothy are doing here with the awful and atrocious life coaching stuff that's out here, that's out today. I mean, it's just, it's just got to the place, family. Just take it from me as your pastor here at Central Baptist Church. If you hear life coaching, life coaching today has fallen into the guilty until proven innocent category. Okay, if you hear life coaching, it's not innocent until proven guilty. No, no, no. If you hear life coaching, it is guilty until proven innocent. Trust me. But I think that the Apostle Paul and Timothy might be doing a little bit of coaching in this. He warned us to recognize and to stay away from the errors. But now he's going to tell us what it is that we need to be striving after. He is going to show what it is that we should be seeking. He is going to show what it is that we should be setting our minds, our hearts, and our desires to. And I know that maybe we can get a little, I don't know, freaked out or, or scared because of error and, and walking the wrong path. So many will resign, uh, resign themselves to or just doing nothing. That's what happens sometimes. We're just so afraid that we just do nothing. Doing nothing, family, is the characteristic of a stone. 
not a Christian. <laughs> In Christianity, we got to keep moving. We've got to keep walking. We may not be running. Some of us are saying, well, you know what, Shane, man, you just don't understand. Life has been so hard. Things are just happening in our life. I'm not running. But, I, but, but if you're walking, it's okay. You know what? Matter of fact, if you're crawling, it's okay. If, if some of you guys maybe remember in the 80s, the worm, some of you guys may be worming through life. <laughs> but at least you're moving. And that's okay. Because as long as we are moving in Christianity, if we don't move forward, you know what's going to happen to us? We're going to sink. It always happens. You all can test me on that. You, you can test it. The minute you stop moving, it's the minute you start falling backwards. One of the ways growing up with my coaches is hearing the voice of my coach. Now, for those of you that were in sports, Y'all remember this. It was always, 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 always bad if the coach looked at you and you were just standing there. <laughs> remember, remember those days? You're just standing there. Sours, why are you just standing there? Move it. Well, I just watch into, oh, okay. Got nothing to do? Why don't you go run? <laughs> One of the things I got really distracted with is, I, as, a, as a young person, still to, the, to this day, it's still this way, I really like fighter jets. You know, like when you see like F-22 Raptors and you, you hear it, right? I'll hear the Raptors out there. You know, I'm just working on stuff, you know, counseling with somebody, marriage counseling. Shane, you just don't understand my whole life is falling. The minute I hear, which is like, hold that thought. I'll go outside to go see that plane, that raptor, that lightning. I, I'm just, I was a sucker for that. So, so in sports, I was, as a young kid, I was always that way. And as soon as I hear planes start to fly, you know, the game could be on the line if there's a plane flying. And that got me in a lot of trouble. And so finally my coach was just like, oh, okay, well, Shane, you like to watch planes. Yeah, I got a really good view for you. Get on your back and do some sit-ups while you watch the plane. Always moving, never standing there, not being distracted. Family, sometimes we need the right motivation from the right coach. And we're going to look at it today. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 2. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that it continues to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing we're gonna look at today, if you're taking notes, excuse me, is the encouragement to seek after the higher things in life. Second, we're going to set our hearts, our desires on what is in heaven, not what is on earth. And finally, we seek and set because we are saved by the one who has the place of honor 
at the right hand of God. So our thesis statement is this. Uh, For those of you that don't know, my thesis statement is essentially me trying to summarize the entire sermon in one sentence. It goes like this. Though sin and the pattern of this world and false teachers cause us to be directed and motivated toward the wrong things. It is the truth of Scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit that will cause us to seek and set toward what is real, what will honor Christ, and what will last forever. So point number one, Paul is encouraging us, Paul and Timothy, they're encouraging us to seek, seek the things above, the things above constantly seek. Be constantly seeking. Paul had just done, uh, just got done in chapter two, warning us, and I hope as Christians, that's the one thing that we see that's clear when it comes to Christians, Christians heed the warnings of scripture. If you are a Christian today, when you get a warning from scripture, you'll follow it. That's what we do as Christians. We follow God's warnings. So heed the warning. And what Paul is saying, and this is something I just want to keep reminding us because we're in such a a culture where there's just so much delusion. Test yourself. Make sure your faith is genuine. This is so important, family. Test yourself. Make sure your faith is genuine. Remember, here at Central Baptist Church, right here in Aurora, Colorado, we do not, as members of this church, do the Jedi mind trick. It's not going to work on God. We see something that's not right, you don't just wave your hand and just say, yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Remember, it works only on the (laughs) weak-minded. But Shane, my faith is genuine. And people will say that. Yeah, Shane, my faith is genuine. My question is always this, and this is where everyone gets stuck. Do you know why? (gasps) Hey, you're saying that today. Shane, my faith is genuine. I'm not worried. My faith is genuine. Can you tell me why? See, that's the difference. That's the difference. Because remember, this is really important because the Bible does give us a warning. The warning is that one day people are going to stand before Christ and Christ and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, and Jesus is going to look at them and say, depart from me, I never knew you. Do you know why this is so important for us today in our culture? Because these people believed that they were Christians. Seriously, they believed. That's why they're looking at Jesus going, Lord, Lord, because they believed actually went through life believing that they were Christians, but in the end, Jesus is going to say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Test yourself to make sure your faith is genuine. And if you say, yes, Shane, my faith is genuine, do you know why? Really important. And remember, I know, because I can see some of y'all working. You know, when I say, test to see if your faith is genuine, and you go, yeah, my faith is genuine, I say, do you know why? And you're going to go, because... It is, because it is. I love that. I love that. It's just, it's just funny to me. <laughs> it's just funny. Some of the conversations I have, it's just, it's just funny. Remember, family, just because, because, because it is, it is the broad path to the doorway to hell. 
I promise you that. But now, after warning us about the wrong path, they are now going to point us into the right direction. We have a clear change at the beginning. The last chapter, the writers made it clear to the Colossians that they were dead to the world, right? Remember? Why are you so preoccupied with the world? You're dead to the world. The world has nothing to do with you anymore. You have nothing to do with the world anymore. You are dead to the world. Have nothing to do it. And now there is a new reality. They were raised with new life in Christ. So you died to the world. And now as Christians today, you were resurrected. New life with Christ. So you're not just dead. You were raised with new life in Christ. Dead to the world, but you are alive, and you are alive in Christ. See, this is what's really important for us today. The message of the cross without the resurrection is not the gospel. Hear, hear, hear me when I say this. I, I, I've, been, I've been noticing this a lot lately. Oh, they got, you know, people are like, oh, well, you know, I'm preaching this message about, you know, how you can, you know, uh, you know be a better individual at the workplace. And then in the end they go, oh, but I got to throw the gospel in so pastors like Shane won't complain. And then I hear the gospel where they talk about Jesus dying on the cross. And then in Jesus' name, amen. Just the message on Jesus dying on the cross is not the gospel. The message of the cross without the resurrection is not the gospel. Good Friday without Easter Sunday is not good news for us. To teach on the cross and all its implications without the resurrection and all its implications is very bad teaching. And our apostle Paul does not teach badly. He makes it very clear, yes, you were dead. There is death in this life, dead to the world. But Christian, you were resurrected and you have life now in Christ. So what we see here is that it was not enough to remind the Colossian recipients of the lifestyle and religious practices that they no longer or do not need to follow anymore. That's what they said. You don't have to follow this stuff anymore. Sure, it was dead to them, but they're also wanting to let us know that you are also alive to something. The message from Paul and Timothy would, would have been too much like do not. That, that they, see, and I think a lot of people today, we think this about Christianity. We think Christianity is, nothing, is all it is is about do not. That don't do this. Don't do that. Don't say this. Don't say that. Don't believe this. Don't believe that. Don't, 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 don't. And people think that. You know, I just, I, I talk to individuals about, how, you know, why, why don't you, why don't you want to go to church? Why don't you want to, you know, get, get things right and all this stuff? And we're talking about life and all this stuff. And it's just, oh, I can't get into that Christianity stuff. Well, like, well, why not? Well, because it's all about, like, you know, don't smoke, don't drink, you know, don't listen to secular music. You know, don't do this, don't do that. It's just everything is don't, 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 don't. And I just, <laughs> I got news for you. It's, it's also about what you need to do. Christianity is not just a do not way of life. Christ's golden rule 
You know, because it's like, you know, you hear all the golden rules. You see the golden rules for all of the century. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. The golden rule is don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do, don't, 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 don't. Christ's golden rule is different. Did you guys notice that? Christ's golden rule is so different. Christ's golden rule is not don't do this to others. Christ's golden rule is do unto others. Do. A positive action. That's the golden rule. Christ is telling us to do. Not don't do, do. Which means that if you don't do, you're not doing the golden rule. That's what's so radically different about Christianity. We are not stones. He didn't turn us into stones. <laughs> stones don't do anything bad. But they don't do anything good either. <laughs> we got to understand we're more like trees. You know, we're supposed to bear fruit and bear fruit in a believer's life. And it's supposed to be daily fruit. These things, this one is an important piece that, that shows a sufficient uh, let's say, a counterweight from what they were being taught and what was so attractive to them. So essentially, what we're trying to understand is that your life was a life where all you were doing was working, making meth in a meth lab. That's what you were doing. That's what essentially he was saying. So Jesus came, set you free from the meth lab. Now you're no longer making product that destroys people's lives. He set you free from it. So what are we going to do now? Sit at home on the couch, watch Netflix all day? Hmm, think about that. Is that what we do as Christians? Well, Shane, at least I'm not making meth. Get off my back, man. At least I'm not doing that. I'm sure I'm sitting here watching Netflix, new season of Cobra Kai is supposed to come out any minute now. You know, all this, this is what I'm going to do, this is what we're going to watch. I got to just do the Netflix, but at least I'm not doing anything bad. No, this is not what the Lord has called us to. This is not the characteristic of a Christian. No, we turn away from the lab, the lab, but we turn to the farm because now we're supposed to produce fruit for the benefit of your neighbor and for the kingdom of Christ. Now we got to do a life of bearing fruit. As a Christian, we're supposed to bear fruit. Oh, but Shane, man, I just, you know, just, I don't understand how hard it is, man. Bearing fruit, having to show fruit and all this kind of stuff. Isn't it just okay that I just have leaves? Can't I just be a tree that just has leaves? Why I got to bear fruit? <laughs> You remember what Jesus said about the tree that doesn't bear fruit? Think about it. The word here used by Paul, zeteo, it does indeed imply a persevering effort, an effort that will not give up. But what is also pictured is not just a seeking to discover, but it's a picture of seeking to obtain. So when Paul is saying, Paul and Timothy is saying, seek after the things that are above, it essentially is pointing us to the very, very, very famous scripture in Matthew chapter 6 that everybody memorized from the time we were in Sunday school to seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. 
It's the picture. Seek the kingdom of God. As Christians, that's what we do. We seek the kingdom of God. So on the one hand, we were preoccupied with the world. Now we are dead to the world. We have nothing to do with the world. But now it's not just, okay, don't do this and we just sit there and do nothing. No, Paul and Timothy is saying, stop being preoccupied with the world and be preoccupied with the things that are above. Be preoccupied. This is, this is just, I don't know, just for me, this is just profound. Dr. William Hendrickson, he writes this. The emphasis, though, is not on the seeking, but on the object sought. A precise rendering would be the things that are above. Be constantly seeking. Seeking to obtain is a common activity, but seeking to obtain the right treasures is not nearly so common and therefore requires emphasis. Yeah, many of us today are seeking. A lot of people seeking. A lot of people working really hard. A lot of people preoccupied with stuff. I know this. Why? Because every single day, people are in a hurry. Right? Come on. Why is everybody in a hurry? But he's just hurrying, do this, hurrying, do this, all this kind of stuff. I mean, it just, it just sometimes, like, I, I'm talking to this one uh, mom. She's got, like, four kids in, in the family, and she was talking about just how busy, trying to uh, set up a time to, to, to schedule some things with her, the counseling and all this stuff. And, and just as soon as 3 o'clock in the afternoon hits, this lady is the busiest person I've ever, I've ever heard of. The, the big thing is, is that she did this thing where she allows the kids to all do different sports. <laughs> I, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how it was done, at least for me when I was growing up. It was like, it, I didn't care if you guys played different sports, but you guys were all going to the same park. <laughs> you guys doing swimming, gymnastics, volleyball, all that stuff, that's fine, as long as it's at the same park. I'm going to drop you guys off at one place. I'm going to pick you. This, this lady is all over the place, man. Just why, or why are we so busy? We're always in a hurry. We're always moving. We're always doing stuff. So seeking is there. The question is, are we seeking the things that are above? Are we seeking the things that are above? The things above, this place first to emphasize things above, we're supposed to seek. We're supposed to, we are to seek with all that is in us. But we are to seek what is above because of our new identity we have in the living Lord. Maybe understanding it in light of identity might help us to understand the reorientating that's supposed to happen with us as Christians. That we are supposed to truly still be active, but active in the right things. Dr. D.G. Dunn, he writes, it is the sort of change which follows from complete identification with another person or cause. When the service of that person or cause becomes all-consuming, the determiner of all priorities, the bubbling spring of all motivation, resolution, and application, which perseveres despite even repeated setbacks. I wonder sometimes how determined we are when it comes to Christianity. How much setback have we actually experienced in life and how many setbacks have we had that we're actually going to persevere through? 
Sometimes I feel like as Christians, we're, we're walking, we hit a wall, and it's just like, well, that's fine. Uh, uh, this didn't work out for me. Then you got people in life when it comes to things of the world, they walk into a wall, and just keep figuring out a way to get over that wall. Determination. I'll tell you one of the biggest, <laughs> one of the, the most amazing thing I have ever seen is my aunt was so determined to learn how to ski, but this lady just couldn't do it. She just could not learn how to ski. She just couldn't ski. She just couldn't do it. The entire day. I, I mean, I lost interest after the first hour, but my uncle said literally it was all day. This lady would get up on the skis. She would go, and then on her butt. On her butt. On her butt all the way down the mountain. Wouldn't, not even one turn. You know, see, here I am going, and just looking at her on the butt. And just did it for eight hours on that mountain. That's what she did. She couldn't sit down at all the next day. But I have never seen such determination in an individual. Do we have that same determination as Christians today? Are we saying that I am going to follow Christ and fix my eyes upon the things that are above no matter what? I have reorientated my life and I am preoccupied with the world. And it doesn't matter what wall is before me. It doesn't matter who's trying to stop me. It does not matter. I am going to get over that wall. Do we have that kind of determination today? See, in the prior chapter, we saw that the Colossians were preoccupied with the world. Now they are encouraged by the Apostle Paul that they're not just just not to be preoccupied with the world, but now they're to be preoccupied with the things that are above where Christ is because that is who you are now because as Christians, it's what you want now. Right? See, and I think that's where the rubber meets the road. I think that's where it gets really hard. The question we got to ask ourselves is, is this what we even want? Do we want to follow God's laws? Do we want to, be a, to, to live and walk in the righteousness of Christ? Do we want to be obedient to the Lord? Now, as Christians, sure, we're going to fall. Sure, we're going to make mistakes. Sure, we're going to sin. But Shane, are we going to sin perpetually? Yes, we're going to sin perpetually. It's called the flesh. Right? As long as we're walking around with our suits on, and I mean the flesh, yes, we're going to struggle with sin. It's going to be there. Yes, we're going to. But deep down inside, is this what you want? That's the difference. But let's take a deeper look at this uh, by going to verse 2. So verse 2, set, seek to set from seek to think. Oh, here we go. Get ready. If you guys have seatbelts, I think we got some installed. Put your seatbelt on. Get ready. Because here we go. Paul and Timothy move quickly from the mode of seeking to now thinking. Oh, man. This is where things get bad. Shane, Christianity is a, is a religion about thinking? Absolutely. 
Oh, yes, yes. In Christianity, do we have to use our brains? Yes. It's really important for us to use our brains. Timothy, uh, Paul and Timothy, they move quickly to thinking. One commentator said it this way. We will not seek unless our minds are set to tell us to seek. We're not going to seek unless we think. We need to set our minds on things that are above, not on earthly, on earthly things. So remember what I said a couple of weeks ago. As much as I love Johnny Cash, he was wrong on this. There's that saying, we're so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. Yeah, stop using that. If you use it, stop using it because it's completely wrong. That's not what the Bible's telling us. The Bible is telling us what? The Bible is telling us here, it's saying that the only earthly good comes from those who are so heavenly minded. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Set your mind on things above where Christ is, not on earthly things. The earthly good that comes, comes from those who are heavenly minded. Ano fronete could be understood as keep thinking about, or better yet, the present tense of this suggests something like this. Make it a habit of your mind. Now, in our culture today, we know about habits. <laughs> we know about control. We know about being slave to things. Essentially what he's saying is, make this, the things above, make it a habit of your mind. That the first thing you think about in the morning is the things of heaven. The first thing you think about in the morning is the things of Christ. The first thing you think about in the, in, in the morning is the golden rule, what Christ has done, what Christ has done on the cross, the gospel, the very first thing that we do. Make it a habit of the mind. I, I'm adding this. I'm saying, in a way, you could probably say it this way. Be mentally addicted to the things that are above. I, I think that, I think that, I know that addiction is just such a bad thing. Okay, I get it. It's not good to be slave to anything. But if you're going to be slave to something, be slave to the things that are above. Be addicted to the things that are above. Um, and then uh, one commentator uh, writes this. It may also be a further polemical dig at the false teachers. Now watch this, super important. Who are perhaps advocating a spiritual orientation that focused on the emotions at the expense of the mind. Amen. Whoa. Family, huge. You get ready. Here we go. I told you we were going to get it. Get ready. Get this is a good illustration for our time today. The Colossians. That's why I say this book, Colossians, is so timely. It's our time today. It for, I mean, for real, our time today. The first thing we should see in our culture is this absolute amazing thing that's happening, this absolute downgrade and divorcing of our values and our practices from any kind of thought at all. I mean, come on. Watch the news. Why is it that all of these things and things that people are passionate about, that people are running to, that people are holding on to, people are addicted to, it's so divorced 
from any kind of rational thought in our minds. I wonder sometimes when I see our world and our culture, do we still use our brains? You know, my uncle, that was his thing. Anytime you do anything that was just, just wrong, just bad, it was never like, you know, that was wrong, you know, you need to shape up, you need to do all this stuff. My uncle always said, use your head. <laughs> and when I was really young, I was confused with that, like, like, use my head to open that door? You know, it's just, you know, you, you take things way, way too literally. He was always, use your head. Use your head. Saying, use your head. Use your, are you going to use your head? It's essentially what Paul and Timothy is saying. Use your head. Set your minds. Turn your brain on. The apostle tells us to set our minds on things that are above. But do we even set our minds anymore? Do we even set our minds in the church anymore? I'll take it a step further. In, in 2022, it's actually even one step further than this. You know, when he's saying it, it focuses on emotions at the expense of the mind. Now, this is what we do in 2022. It's not experience at the expense of the mind. It's experience trumps the mind. Okay, I got one amen. Not experience at the expense of the mind. Today, experience trumps the mind. Oh, yeah. It doesn't matter what, how many PhDs you have or what the calculations are. I don't care if it's a mathematical equation. This is an experience that I had. Therefore, it overrules you. Seriously. You know, an, an individual is, I'm talking to an individual, um, not anybody here at this church yet, but an individual who gets those publishing clearinghouse things and open it up and says, you want a million dollars, call this number. And it's like, no matter how many times I explain to the individual, hey, this is just their way of getting you to call so they can sell you stuff. They're not trying to give you money, they're trying to take your money. And I got, I got account after account after account after account after account, all this stuff. But Shane, you don't understand. I opened it and it said, I want a million dollars. This is something that I have experienced. Therefore, would you be quiet and let me make this phone call and call these people so I can get my millions of dollars? Experience. Emotions. Man, we'll believe anybody if they're telling us what we want to hear. Whether it's true or false, it does not matter. It's what they want to hear. One of the common things in, in a church that uh, me and uh, Steve, I don't, I don't know where, where Steve is, but uh, anyway, Steve, we grew up in this church. And the thing that's funny about this thing was the serious downgrade and this downgrade of thinking, and this huge upgrade in experience focused on emotions at the expense of the mind. See, and, the, and the, the, here's the thing that's really crazy is the lead pastor of this church that had thousands of people, the lead pastor of this church was actually biblically illiterate, like didn't know very much about the Bible, didn't know hardly anything in the Bible. And, and here's the thing that was really interesting. He would always talk down to me 
because I went to Bible college. I went to Bible college and he talked down to me as if I was poisoning my brain, as if I was ruining my life, as I was quenching the spirit, is what he would say all the time. And he was always saying, hey, you know what, Shane? Going to Bible college and going to seminary, that's not going to help you become a pastor. He would say that all the time. It's not going to help you become a pastor. All you Bible college people, his sermons are all about his experiences with God, not about the scriptures. Seriously, do you think that we live in a time where people actually think it's okay to be a pastor who, and they don't know the scriptures? Like they don't know the Bible and it's okay for them to be a pastor? Do we live in a day where it seems to be okay? Yeah. I, I mean, just, just the, the easiest things and things that he would say, I'd just be like, whoa, whoa, where'd he get that? It doesn't take a lot of thought. This is what I tell individuals all the time. It doesn't take a lot of thought with some of this stuff, stuff that's going out there, stuff that happens. It doesn't take a ton of thought. You don't have to sit there with a, with a, with a pen and a pad and, and try to figure out equations and all this stuff to find out whether this stuff is right or whether this stuff is wrong. The only thing you have to do to find out whether this stuff is right or wrong is turn on your brain. If your brain is on, you're going to see it. Let me give you an example. Let's think, let's think about this. Using our minds. <laughs> like just this last week, I'm going to use this. This, this last week, I had the, another God told me individual. This, is, this, is the, this part is starting to like grate on my brain. But just everyone just throws that out now, man. God told me this. God told me that. God told me you need to do this. God told me this. God, God said I need to buy this. God said I need to do this. God said I want a million dollars in publisher's clearinghouse. I mean, God, God just, just God said, God said. Here's the thing I'm starting to ask when people say this. Do you know that God told you that? This is what I get pretty much 99% of the time. I ask them, do you, do you know that God told you that? Well, no, I mean, I'm not sure. Like, are you 100% sure that God told you this? 99% of them will say no. All you had to do is turn on your brain. Just turn it on, and you see right there something huge, something glaringly wrong. If you're telling somebody that God told you something, and you don't know 100% that God told you that, then you know what you're doing? You're lying. Did, did, you, did you hear that? They're lying to you. I don't know for a fact. Seriously. If I, if I come out here and I just said, hey, man, you know what? Frank told me this morning that he's going to buy every single person in this church some alligator skin shoes. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. What we're all concerned about right now, this is where we're focused. We're focused on the alligator shoes part. Is Frank going to do this or not? This is where we miss it. This is where we've missed the whole the picture that I'm trying to tell you. Let's just say that Frank does. Frank just, Frank just won a million dollars with Publishers Clearinghouse. <laughs> and now he's going to buy everybody alligator shoes. Let's just say that's true. He does do this. Well, we don't think anything. We don't think about the actual problem that took place. 
Because you're going to ask Frank, hey, Frank, did you tell Shane that you were going to buy everybody alligator shoes? And Frank's going to say, did I ask you that this morning? Or did you tell me that this morning? Okay. Frank's going to say no. Which means I did what to you? I lied to you. He didn't tell me that. Well, but Shane, you just, you misunderstand. You know, you just misunderstood him. He wasn't saying that he was going to do that. He said he would like to do that. Oh, okay. So this is what they're saying. That essentially, this is just what I think God told me. Right? You get that. That's not the problem. The problem has nothing to do with the fact of what God told you or what God didn't do and what God is, whether it's true or whether it's not. The, thing, the point I'm trying to make is that you took the name of the Lord in vain and you lied about the conversation that did or did not happen. You see? It just, it doesn't take a ton. It doesn't take having a PhD or having a degree in calculus. If you're out there telling somebody that God told you this and you have no idea for a fact whether he did or not, then you're lying. And you have just taken the name of the Lord in vain. You have sinned. It doesn't take a lot of thought. It doesn't take a lot of thought. It doesn't take a seminary degree for us to see this. This is the reality. This is the, 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 the shame. This is the sham that's going on. When are, when are, we, gonna, when are we just going to stop? When are we going to recognize this? When are we going to see this? If you want God to speak to you, read your Bible. And like Steve said last week, if you want him to speak to you audibly, read it out loud. Read your Bible. Because I'll tell you this right now. Do I know 100% that God spoke to me in his word? Absolutely. 150% sure that God spoke to me in his word. It doesn't take a lot. It really doesn't. You see what I'm saying? All we have to do is turn on the brain. Stop being led by our emotions. Stop being led by this stuff and actually turn the brain on and actually think. You know, this, this, this is one of the things I thought was like really profound with one of our leaders in the SBC. I'm listening to uh, Al, Dr. Al Mohler. If you haven't heard anything from Dr. Al Mohler, please listen to Dr. Al Mohler. He, wow, just, that, that, that guy not only has his brain on, but he feeds that thing something. Because that brain is just, you know. But, you know, he was, he, we were talking about this whole, this whole uh, uh, gifts of the spirit things. So we're having this gift of the spirit stuff, and he's talking about somebody calls up and says, well, you know, it's tongues, you know, gift of the workings of miracles, all of these things are today. And Al, Al Mohler just said something I thought was super profound. He, he didn't go through the exegesis, the, the, the Greek. He didn't go through all of this kind of stuff. He just did something that I think that we should see and we should do as Christians today. All he did was go, and he turned on the brain. And he says, so do I believe that miracles, speaking in tongues, all of those things, do I believe that those things have ceased? And he talked about a little bit of scripture. He goes, yes, you know, when it comes to the Bible, you know, and, and it, he, he brought up the one thing that I, I keep saying all the time, like, you know, if this was common throughout all of Christianity, James talks about if you're not feeling well, you're supposed to go to the elders who are going to anoint you with oil. Why didn't he send them to the healers? Right? 
Why, why didn't he send them to the, the miracle workers? No, because it, was, it's not, it wasn't cost. So he, he brought that especially to Jesus, and he says, here's the number one reason why I think that miracles and tongues and all of this stuff has ceased. He just went, you know what he said? Because they did. Dude, like, I can't tell you. I'm a seminary student and all this stuff, and I'm just listening to this going, what? <laughs> For real? Like, Wow. And he just went through history and just talked about it. It's interesting, family. It's just interesting. All we have to do is think. Because they did. Right? Like, seriously. Apart from the sideshows that we see on TV, when do we see guys walking around performing miracles? Like they did in, in, in Acts. When do we see the healings like we did in Acts? You know, every single person that's come up to me and says, hey, Shane, I speak in tongues. Oh, yeah, do you know what language it is? Well, I, I don't know what language it is. Well, but how do you know you speak in tongues and it's not just gibberish? Well, I don't know. Why, why, why wouldn't you check? Dude, the, the, whole, the whole world, we're so full of, of stuff when it comes to lingu- linguistics, man. We've got the best stuff. You could speak in a tongue, you can speak in a language, not even know what it is. They would listen to it and they would tell you exactly what language you're speaking. But they don't do it. I told an individual, hey, you know what? Here's the deal. I will pay. I will pay. Go to the linguistics department at the University of Colorado. I will pay a student to do research on the, you speak in tongues in his thing. I will do research. Have him do research and find out what tongue you're speaking. Not only that, be able to tell you what you just said. And what I would love for it to say is it's like, yeah, Shane, you know, I saw this stuff and this person spoke in tongues and it was actually, the language was Swahili or something. And what he said was, Shane, see, now you wanted to, to confront me. Now you're wrong. Ha ha. Very funny. That, wow. This doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. There, there, was a, there was a group that actually went to one of the churches where they were doing this and they started recording, secretly recording people speaking in tongues. And they said they had recorded like 500 people and they took all 500, I think it was like the University of Toronto or something like that, took it to their linguistics department, actually ran it through everything that they had. Not one individual actually spoke a known language. That's why I thought it was amazing. Just think about this. See, because for me, that was the big thing for those of you that have been brought up in, in some of these circles you know, like me and Steve, we were brought up in this healing, you know, prosperity gospel circles. We were brought up in this kind of stuff. Here's the bottom line. The biggest reason why it was easy for me to walk away from this. Do you know why it was super easy to walk away from this? Because it never delivered on what it promised. Never delivered. Man, I did everything. I'm still wearing glasses. That was my thing. God was going to cure my sight. I'm still wearing glasses. And what's even worse is I feel like God is doing something because my eyes are not getting better. They're getting worse. He's sabotaging me. I'm just kidding on that last part. Why do I bring this up? I'm bringing this up just to say, all we've got to do is turn our brain on. It doesn't take a ton of thinking. Turn it on. 
And we can recognize and see all of this stuff. It's just there, simple. Solves a lot of problems, doesn't it? I remember he used to always say, you know, Shane, what's going to happen is you're going to spend three years at cemetery learning about theology and the Bible, and you're going to totally sacrifice your ministry, is what he would say. You have all the head knowledge, but you won't have any heart knowledge. And actually told me it's better to be an ignorant fanatic than to be a smart dry bone. And experience is authoritative today. A person's experience is an authority and will trump whatever your head tells us, no matter how crazy it sounds. Well, they're, they're may, you know, I'm, I'm hoping not, but maybe there's some of you today who just be like, well, Shane, I don't care what you say about speaking in tongues. I've experienced this. You know what language you speak? No, but I've experienced this. So don't tell me. Well, I'm not telling you. I'm just letting you know what the scriptures say. I don't care what the scripture says. This is what I have experienced. This is what I've experienced. So therefore, do not come to me with all your education. That's what I get. Seriously. Many Christians believe that what they experience with the Lord is actually even more important than what the Bible says. But Shane... Do people really think that experience trumps the mind? Yeah, absolutely they do. Why? Because there are men and women who have no formal biblical or theological training who believe that they're actually fit to be pastors because they went to church for 20 years. This is my experience. This is what I've experienced. Now, again, people are like, hey, Shane, that's kind of harsh for you to say. Yeah, well, let me ask you this. What if I come up to you and I say, hey, you know what? I know you got a faulty valve, Shane. Let me perform heart surgery on you. And I go, wait a minute. Are you a doctor? No. Did you go to med school? No. Then why would I do this? Because I worked at the hospital for 20 years. Right? Oh, but Shane, come on. It's the church. Even more so. Sure, the person can operate, do surgery on you, mess up, and yeah, you die. You do malpractice in the church and people go to hell for eternity. Amen. But what of us, Shane, who use our minds? What if we do use our minds? The story goes, penny-pinching Jack Benny was walking along when suddenly an armed robber approached and said, your money or your life? This is how the story goes. And there was a long pause when Benny did nothing. And the robber is looking at him going, well... And Jack Benny replied, don't rush me. I'm thinking. Sure, we're thinking. But seriously, are we actually going to ponder that? Your money or your life? And we have to think about that? 
The commentator says, millions of people today think their things are their life. He says, I once saw a poster which pictured a coffin with pallbearers and the deceased's possessions, a mansion, a helicopter, nine cars, a Ferrari, a Rolls, a Porsche, etc. With the caption on the poster, he who has the most toys when he dies wins. Sadly, many in the church were not that far behind. Oz Guinness writes this, Theologies compete brazenly to rationalize wealth, success, and material blessings. Prosperity doctrines gush forth from realities, radio, and television. Even Psalm 23 has been revised, he said. The Lord is my banker. My credit is good. He giveth me the keys to his strong box. He restoreth my faith in riches. He guideth me in the paths of prosperity for his name's sake. This was written in his book, The Gravedigger Files. Not that far away. Because in reality, family, people today, they spend not because they need. They spend because of their identity. This is who I am. And that's a powerful, powerful thing. Powerful, powerful thing. Because I, I, I'm talking with an individual in our culture today who is, uh, she says that she's, um, I can't forget it what it's called, but basically they practice asceticism. Asceticism. They just keep away from any possessions, any wealth or anything like that. And I was just like, oh, okay, this is different. This is different in our culture today. Somebody who's actually not seeking after money not trying to be famous, not trying to be popular, not trying to get on American Idol, not trying to do all this stuff. But when I was talking to her about this, it actually wasn't because she was saying, hey, Shane, I'm seeking after the things that are above. I'm seeking after the things that matter. I'm seeking after all of those things. No. Why are you doing this? And she says, well, because this is just what me and my friends do. Ah, there's my point right there, family. It's not spending money based on material positions, all that kind of stuff. This is her identity. This is who she is. And so if you identify as an individual that does this, man, you, the lengths you will go through, the things that we will do for our identity, that's not far away from what we see the truth in Scripture. This is what Paul and Timothy is trying to say when he's saying seek and to set your minds upon these things. He's trying to get us to understand you are to do this not because of what it will do for you. You are to do this because of who you are. This is what you do because this is who you are. This is what Christians do. Right? And Christianity, we're just a bunch of Christians that are out there, you know, telling everybody, hey, you know what? I'm an electrician while I fix toilets. Or I'm a plumber while I'm fixing your light. I'm a Christian. And I live just like unbelievers in this world. It's not who you are. It's not what we do. We set our minds on things above. 
We seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's what we do. That's what Christians do. Do we sin? Yes, we absolutely sin. But you know what else Christians do? We also repent and we ask the Lord for forgiveness. Why? Because that's what Christians do. We have to remember when it comes to the things of this world, remember the parable of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus asking what he must do to inherit eternal life and Jesus told him to sell all he had and the man went away sad. He was in sorrow. The truth is, family, every one of us is that rich young ruler. Oh, Shane, (laughs) you you haven't seen my life. I wouldn't characterize my life as rich young ruler. Yeah, I, I, I get it. But we got to understand that each one of us, especially in our culture today, has incredible wealth. Because of our possessions, it's difficult to set our minds on things above. So family, watch this. In life, there are two ways to hold things. Number one, you can hold it with a clenched fist making sure nobody takes it from you. Or you can hold it with an open hand. Clinch fist, open hand. Will we give it up? Will we let it go? When Jesus comes and asks for it, are we willing to let it go? Eyes fixed upon things that are above. And remember C.S. Lewis is one of C.S. Lewis's famous, famous quotes. If you aim for heaven, earth is thrown in. You aim for earth, you get neither. You get none. Open hands, family. Walking through life with open hands. But here's the thing. Here's what we're going to close. But this is one of the things I cherish, is that when it came to us, Jesus holding on to us, he didn't hold on to us with an open hand. He held on to us with a clenched fist. Oh, man. He was not willing to give us away. Even though we do not do what we are commanded to do, this is the fullness of how we are to understand sin. Sin, essentially, is any want of conformity, any want of transgression of the law of God, meaning that it's both positive and negative. Do you know that we sin? It means any time we are not being or we are not doing what God requires, if you're not being and you're not doing what God requires, you are sinning. Seriously. Also, here's the big one. Anytime you do what God forbids, you are sinning. So just like how we operate as Christians, how we live, positive and negative. Don't do certain things, do certain things. Sin is the same way. Don't do certain things, sin. Do certain things, sin. It's real. Setting our minds and our hearts on the things of the world is sin. Not setting our hearts and minds on what above, what is above, is sin. 
And when sin, with sin comes death. The wages of sin is death. The horrible consequence of sin is lining us up for eternity facing the wrath of God. Weeping and gnashing of teeth, eternal darkness, eternal fire, eternal damnation, the hands of the living God. We're going to be crushed in his hands for eternity. I don't want this for us. I don't want this for people. This is why we preach the gospel and let everybody know that salvation is here. There is salvation for us today. Salvation came with Christ. When Christ came, he opened up his hands to take the nails that we deserved to die the death that we should have died after he lived the life that we should have lived. Did we sin? Yeah, we did. Do we sin? Yes, we do. Is there punishment for sin? Absolutely. Is God love? Yes. Is God wrath? Yes. But family, Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. He came to seek and save that which was lost. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. And salvation is here. For all who called upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth, right there, right where you're sitting, you know, we're not... We don't have to do the Billy Graham crusade thing here. Right there, right where you're sitting, all you got to do right now, call upon the name of the Lord and the Bible says you will be saved. You'll be saved. Salvation is here. The Bible says that if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, you will have life in his name. And here it is. The Bible also says that once he has you in the palm of his hands, he will never let you go. He's not going to give up on you. He hasn't given up on you. Many of us would say, you know what? I have given him reason, plenty of reasons to give up on me. But he promised me that he would never leave me nor forsake me. And when I come to my Lord and I confess my sins, do you know what the Bible says he will do? He says if he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Are you a Christian today? If you are a Christian today, then let me tell you this right now. Do not ever call unclean what the Lord made clean. And I don't care what you did. I don't care what you said. I don't care what it is. There is nothing in this world, including sin. There is no sin, nothing in this world more powerful than the blood of Christ. His blood will conquer everything. Where sin abounds, there Christ's grace abounds even more. He will hold us. He will keep us. 
He will cause his face to shine upon us and be gracious to us. He will lift up his countenance upon us and give us peace, a peace that transcends all understanding. Let's pray. Thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.